welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church of Taylorville, Illinois. I hope this podcast stirs your desire for the things of God, and we hope that your faith in Christ will grow like never before. Now let's get into the podcast. Good morning, fam. How are we? I'm good, too. How are you guys? Uh, Fantastic. That sounded... I don't know. I don't know how that sounds. I'm not even going to go there. Um, so, hey, I've got some uh, things I want to talk about uh, today before I get into today's sermon. Um, for one, I just want to say thank you. And uh, where's Ricky? Hey, Ricky, here's your mulch back. You can go put that back at the property, okay? Um, so we had a great time yesterday putting the, uh, putting the mulch down. Just go check it out on the north property. It is primed and ready for families where we've replaced the swings. The slides are in great shape. All of it is in great shape. Families go out and enjoy it. Do, you know, it's just open for whoever wants to use it. So grateful for everybody who volunteered yesterday and took time out. Yeah. And it, uh, we worked hard for about three hours, and then it was all done. So it turned out really good. And it looks fantastic. You can go check it out for yourself. And then I've got two other things. Um, this is going to pertain to probably two different groups of people. So after the service today, uh, two, two things. After the service today, if you'd be interested, maybe I'm just looking for a couple of people who are interested in helping to clean um, one of the parsonages that we have. It's, the kitchen's been redone and all of that. So we're just looking for like a final clean before the Wendells move in, which will probably be in November. So if you are interested in cleaning, please see me after the service. And so I can get you plugged in and put that on the schedule for you to clean that up and uh, just get that ready for the Wendells. And not going to take a whole lot, but just a couple of people, probably a couple hours for a couple of people to do that. And then also, uh, I'm going to be starting a men's book study, and it's going to be beginning at the first of next month, and it will be in the morning on Thursday mornings. If you're interested in that, please see me. I'm asking all guys who are interested in the men's book study that we're going to be doing. It's called Fathered by God. Please meet me right here after the service, and I would like to ask you a couple questions based upon that, and, uh, and just so I can be prepared for who's going to be there and what that looks like, and it's going to be a great journey together. And I also would like for us to just journey into God's Word today. We're going to be in in Ephesians 3. We're going to start in verse 14, going through verse 21. And Ephesians is divided up really into three different ideas or themes. And so we're completing today the first of the themes about how we're blessed and talking largely about an identity rooted in Christ and what that means and how God lavishes his love upon us and how we are indeed blessed. We don't have to strive for blessing. We don't have to create our own blessing. God blesses his kids. Amen? And so we've been talking about that for weeks. We're going to finish that up, starting a brand new series next week called Together. And then after Christmas, I know the beginning of next year, we're actually going to finish up Ephesians um, and the last bit and the last theme talking about spiritual warfare, which will be after Christmas series. So just kind of map that out in your head. That's where we're going. We're going to look at verse 14 through 21. What we're going to see today is five undeniable truths that are true, deeply true, 
to the, to the depths of our soul true for a child of God. Verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches you may st- that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, somebody say amen, our God can do immeasurably more. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When I was a a, a child, I had a very vivid imagination. It's interesting that my my imagination is, is actually waned. The older I've gotten, the more, I've be, the more I, I think differently, and I need to have more of an imagination for sure. But I remember when I was a little kid, I used to have just a vivid imagination. I was one of those kids um, in early years in Colton and Nokomis to where I would just lay out in the dawn. Of course, you don't have a whole lot of light pollution in a city that small, but I remember just laying out in the dirt and just looking up at the stars in the sky. Did anybody else do that when you were a kid? I used to love that and just look up there and just like, just didn't know what I was looking at, just a bunch of stars. And if the rare occasion you get to see a shooting star, like you, the awe and wonder of that is just incredible, is it not? But I used to love doing that as a kid. And then, of course, Star Wars and Star Trek, right? So don't make that mistake and say Star Trek around Trekkians because they'll light you up. I've made that mistake. I'm not really one of them. I've seen some of them. I, I like the first three, right? Not I like the first three. That means start wars, four, five, and six. One, two, and three. I'm not a diehard. I don't really care to see those ever again. Okay, that's just, I'm just, full disclosure. But four, five, and six just lit my world up because looking at that, knowing that it's, it's sci-fi or whatever, however that fits in the category of film, but it just being in awe and watching those things whenever I was young specifically and just being in awe and wonder of those things. And then, and then I think because of that, then when I was in the Navy and I'd be out at sea and they would do darkened ship, I worked second shift and it wasn't like typical second shift, 3 to 11. There was only two shifts when you're at sea. It's 12 on, 12 off, 7 to 7, 7 to 7. So that's what it was. So I worked 7 at night to 7 in the morning. And I remember a lot of those lonely nights up on the flight deck. I worked on an aircraft carrier when the lights are all out and you just, no light pollution. It's just amazing. And then after I got out of the Navy and then went into college I had, an, I had only a couple of elective classes that I could take, and I took, I took astronomy, not astrology. That's totally different. Astronomy. And I was so excited. It, it was SIU Carbondale. They kept telling us there was just going to be this one night that we'd get to go to the observatory if the weather was good. And he kind of teased it along and teased it along, and then eventually we, we actually got to see the observatory and, and just to see that through this gigantic telescope, and it was just incredible. And around that same time frame, my fascination and awe and wonder and imagination for what could be out in, out in the, the galaxy, that's when 
the, the Hubble Space Telescope was being talked about a lot, and that's when the internet was just coming online, the ding, boom, boom, that internet, you know, that internet, that's the internet they started with, you know what I mean? We made it, didn't we? We made it, we made it. Um, the last generation, actually, it's interesting, the last generation to ever know what it's like to live without the internet is, is my generation, some of your generations there too, and and we actually, in this, in this day and age, are going to be the last generation to ever have lived without AI. So that's a whole other thing that's being waved out right now, right, wrong, or indifferent. It's going to sweep the world. It already is. So it's just interesting to see how things change. But when, when the Internet just came out, and we had it in, our house, in, in the, the house trailer that we lived in, and we had to run a cord from the phone jack to where the computer was and then unplug it when you weren't using the computer. It was like that. So we'd, we'd plug it into the computer, and then if it, I'm not going to try and make the sound again because I can't do it twice. But so, and then if we got to watch it, and then I would go on, and they would actually do, they would actually show you the, the photos from the Hubble Space Telescope. And you could go and look at it. You still can, but I used to go and look at it, and you see the, the vivid colors, and you'd see the shapes, and you'd see all the nebula, all the, the amazing things that are in space. And it was like my, my wonder as a child was just rejuvenated time and time and time and time again. And yet I think somewhere along the line, my sense of wonder of the, even the physical world has waned. But I also, if I'm honest with you, I think sometimes... I think that's not only true of my imagination when it comes to physical things. I think sometimes my theological imagination has also waned. Where I know and I believe that God can, but yet somewhere along the line, maybe I, I haven't prayed like I believe that God can. Do you know the difference? It's where it's like, oh, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. My unbelief shows up in the way that I, I pray, in the way that I act, in the way that I speak, and how I trust God. The five things that are going to be talked about in this passage, hopefully for you, it's what it's doing to me even right now. Of these five undeniable truths of the child of God is to light us up with some theological wonder and awe of our God. And where I want to begin today is, is just talking about the, the first point right from the beginning of this verse, or right from the beginning of this passage in verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I want you to know this morning, you are fathered by God if you're in Christ. You are fathered by God. So what does that mean? Your attention, please. I know you want to take notes. You, you can take that. It's easy to write fathered, okay? You'll get it. That means you don't have to live with an orphan spirit any longer. You don't have to go out and try to, to make a name for yourself, to prove yourself to the world, because you don't need to seek approval from anyone else outside of God. And once you know and you live in the reality that you have God's approval, everybody else's approval follows suit with that. And you realize if you seek the approval of man before you seek the approval of God, you'll always be, having, you'll always be living like, like you're an orphan. Like you don't know your father. Like something's wrong. Like there's a disruption in your family line. Like you really weren't adopted, like it says earlier in Ephesians. Like you really weren't purposed before God, like it says in Ephesians. You start living like you're not the masterpiece that it says in Ephesians 2.10. 
You'll start living almost as if you're just kind of just meandering through life, like life is happening to you instead of you living the life that God says that, that is to be yours, that is abundant and eternal. You see, the orphan, the orphan heart runs deep through all of us because we have sin in our life. And because Satan wants to whisper these, these lies that are sweet and seductive, and we believe them quite too often, that we are not fathered by God, but that we're orphans, that we need to strive and we need to try and we need to do all these things for ourselves. It's with this, this lie that's perpetuated that there's no one coming for you. It's just about you. Just take care of it. God is for you. And if you're in Christ this morning, he's your father, which means that he's adopted you. And the amazing thing about Roman adoption, it's even stronger than adoption we see in the country we live in. Roman adoption was such that if you were adopted into a Roman family, that means that there was no way that you were able going to be, you were able to be excluded from that family ever again, ever again. It meant that much. So when we read the word adopted in the New Testament, it's with this backdrop of of a Roman lifestyle, and it's that deep and rich and so much more. You this morning, if you're in Christ, you're being fathered by God. I'm somebody who is enthralled with revival, and if you're anybody who's even interested in revival, you you need to read Leonard Ravenhill. That's who you need to read. So if you're like me and you want to know more about revival and maybe ask questions as to why it's not coming around and you long for it like I do, you need to read Leonard Ravenhill. And the, the last book that I read from him is called Why Revival Tarries. Incredible book. And in it, Ravenhill says this. He said, there are three persons living in each of us. The one we think we are, the one other people think we are, and the, one goes, and the one that God knows we are. You see, God knows you. He knows you. I even think he likes you. Even in times when you don't like you, God likes you. Do you ever get to the place where you just, you're, like, you just, you're just kind of tired of being in and of yourself? You know, you're just like mad at yourself. Or you're just, just like, ugh. I didn't want to be with me today. And you're like, well, I'm stuck with me forever, you know. And God loves you no matter how you feel about you. God loves you no matter how other people feel about you. Soak in this word that you're a son or daughter of a kind and gracious father who's concerned about you. He's concerned about your life and your goals and your relationships and your future. And this may be the hardest thing that, that will ever flood into your heart, but you need to soak in this because you are worthy of this kind of love, not because you have to prove it because Jesus proved it when he died on the cross for you. Vernon Manning, another one of my favorite authors, in a book called Abba's Child, just the title of the book itself lets you know what this is, uh, what that book is about. He says, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. What's interesting about Brendan Manning, although I disagree with much of his theology, what I do agree on is the way that he merges his spirituality, his, the- his version of theology, and psychology. And I love it because he himself lived a life as a tortured soul, and yet he would write about the, the, the issues that he was tortured with, and yet he's writing this to us 
But he's also writing this to himself. Define yourself radically as one loved by God. So what might that mean? That means if you're radically loved by God, that means Jesus Christ died for you. That means you gave your life to him. That means not only did you give your life to him, that you acknowledge that he died on the cross, that you acknowledge that he's God in the flesh. You turn away from, from your old sin patterns and you turn toward him in the new life that's offered. That means that you are no longer spiritually dead, that you're spiritually alive. That means that you're his masterpiece or his workmanship, as some translations say. That means you were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That means that you were adopted, you were, you were plucked out of your sinful way of living, and you're put into God's family with a strong bond to live there. And as we read and studied in Ephesians 2.19, it says that you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. That's a good place for an amen. You missed it. Notice what he says again, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through the Spirit in your inner being. Notice he says, I kneel before the Father, which was not the pattern at the time. But he is, he is kneeling before the Father. That's the posture of his heart. But it's the, the posture of his heart for the Jews normally would be standing. But he himself, he's kneeling before Almighty God. But he recognized him as, as father. But he's, he's literally in the middle of this prayer for the, the church in Ephesus right here in this whole passage. You see, one of the purest ways to know a person's anxieties and ambitions is by observing the intensity and frequency of their prayer life. I'll say it a different way. I can tell, if I were to be able to, to peer into your life, I could tell by the by the, the intensity and the frequency of, of your prayer life as to what you believe about God. If I, if I knew that, and only God knows that, and only you know that. But the intensity and frequency of your prayer life reveal what you truly believe about God, what you really believe about the world, what you really believe about your own power, what you really believe about the power of your connections, what you really Believe about your family, your health, and your wealth. There's an inviting passage of Scripture. If you could go to the left into Luke 11. I'm not going to elaborate too much on this passage. I actually preached through it earlier this year. But it fits so well that I could not pass it up. So Luke 11, 5 through 10, when Jesus is teaching on prayer, he says this, Suppose... One of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Verse 9. Jesus elaborates on the same point. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. You have a father that responds to persistent prayer. He longs to know you more intimately and he longs for you to know him more intimately. Second thing that I would pick right from this passage in verse 
16 and 17 is this, you are strengthened by the Spirit. So the second undeniable truth for a child of God, you're strengthened by the Spirit. Verse 16, I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with the power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure to the fullness of God. I'm going to be preaching pretty hard today. I'm not going to have a voice. I better take a drink. I'm only getting started. You remember back in science class, the word osmosis? Who remembers that, that word? I'm not asking you to define it. I'm not. So, so osmosis is an interesting thing. Osmosis, in a simplistic way of defining it, is, is water that's moving through a semi-permeable membrane from a higher concentrate to a lower concentrate. So in my study, and my also love of coffee, I've actually found a new brewing method around, so I'm kind of ready to geek out on this. Um, and then, you know, I verified it through Reddit, and everybody on Reddit, well, they all argued and said different things, but still, like that, how it is on Reddit. But... Um, so I found something about, about osmosis and coffee brewing methods. But osmosis is the, the, the moving of water through a semi-permeable membrane. So it's, it's water moving through something from a higher concentrate to a lower concentrate. What I've been thinking about is if we're to be strengthened by the Spirit, sure, we need, we need the the physical uh, osmosis because it helps us to live and our intestines use it every day. But I think even more importantly for what we're talking about today, we need some holy osmosis. We need the Spirit of God to permeate all of our lives and not just these little, holy, set-apart, sanctified moments in our life. We need some holy osmosis where we, where we if we're going to be strengthened in the Spirit, we invite the Spirit of God into every aspect of our life instead of living compartmentalized lives and keeping some to ourselves and giving some to God and keeping some to ourselves and then some to God. If we're going to be truly changed, if we're really going to be living wholehearted, wonderstruck, people of God full of faith, with the theological imagination, it's going to take for all of us to be strengthened in the Spirit and have some holy osmosis to invite the Spirit of God to touch all of the depths of our lives. This is the spiritual life that I long to have personally. And this is the spiritual life that I long for you to have. One that the Spirit of God has infused into everything and not those, just those cute little categories that you don't think you need to change. but into every aspect of our life. We need some holy osmosis. Romans 8, 9 says this, You, however, are controlled not by your sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. We could look at every issue that's going on in the world today, and it's driven by people who are being driven by their sinful nature. Every issue that's happening in the world today You may blame a person, but within that person, 
resides a sinful nature and they're simply responding and they're living out of, it could be trauma, it could be a bunch of things, but at the core, they're living out of their sinful nature. We have to identify what the root cause of issues are so we don't try and seek solutions from things that really won't change. Because the depth of our change comes at the spiritual level. Every issue in the world today, from every person bringing about that issue in the world today, all of it goes down to people living out of their sinful nature. And what Paul says to the church in Rome, and he says to us today by by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is this. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit of God if the Spirit of God lives in you. Yield to the Spirit of God. Do not quench the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. Bask in the presence of God. Get to know the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament. Soak in His Word. But if I'm honest, one of the core issues that I see in the world today is we're just simply distracted. And the thing that we're most distracted by are our screens. That's just the core distraction. That's how we get our media. That's how we get our entertainment. I mean, there's so much. That's how we get cooking tips. Let's let's just be honest, as we do, right? We get everything. But we've become so enamored and addicted and distracted by our screens. Ravenhill, again, says this about some screens. Talking about TV, because when it was written, he says, how can we pull down strongholds of Satan if we don't even have the strength to turn off our TV? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back the walls of hell with the squirt gun. Really? And you can't even, and you're addicted to your phone and you can't shut it off and you can't shut off the likes and you can't shut off the comments and you can't shut off TikTok and you can't shut off Instagram and you can't get off of Facebook and you're nosing in everybody's business and you're so concerned with being an influencer and nobody notices and no one cares and yet you're addicted to your phone and you're, you're simply distracted by your phone. And what Ravenhill says is somebody who just captains the cause of revival, he says, How in the world are you going to be able to battle the strongholds of Satan if you don't even have the strength to turn off your TV? First thing, we need to go forward and just just ask God to forgive us of all the times that we've been distracted and addicted to our screens and what we get from our screens. And once we do that and we place ourselves before God and say, God, I am powerless to change myself. This is an addiction that has a stronghold on my life. And in that moment when you turn away from that lifestyle, then and only then can you start to be changed. But if you, don't, if you just begin with some self-help method, you're going to cycle back and you're going to go right back to your addiction and you're going to go right back to your distraction. You're not strong enough. There's too many scientists working against you. There's too many people programming phones and videos and everything else to to cause your body to react to what you see to where you want more of it and that you can't, that you stop thinking that you can even live without it. The average American spends seven hours and four minutes looking at a screen each day. The average American. Almost half 
of zero to two-year-olds, almost half interact with smartphones. Almost half. What are we doing to the next generation? Gen Zs, they average around nine hours of screen time. So how is it that these chains can be broken? I offer this. Dwelling in the presence of God breaks the chains of addiction and the bondage of distraction. Dwelling in the presence of God. There's so many ways that you can dwell in the presence of God. In this passage, it says uh, the word dwell, actually in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There's two different Greek words for the word dwell. And I've tried really hard to be able to say them, but I don't have the courage to say them this morning. Um, but I've tried numerous times, but there's two different words, and I don't need to say the words to carry the meaning. One is simply me, a way to illustrate it would be to, for you to dwell like when you go to a hotel room. You go to a hotel room, and hotels are expensive these days, right? So you go to a hotel room, and you go there for one night stay. You go there as a guest. You know you don't live there. I don't care if it's, if it's, you know, if it's a high-dollar place or if it's not a high-dollar place, you pay for a night stay in a hotel, and you go in, and you get a key card, or you get a, you know, get a key that may not be a hotel, that may, or that, that may not be a hotel, that may be a motel, I don't know, it's just saying, but when you go into that, that kind of place, anyway, so you go in, and they give you a key, but then when you leave, they want the key back, because you're a guest, you don't live there. The word being used here is not somebody who just occasionally inhabits a space. The word being used here, it means they reside there. They don't just visit. That God resides in your heart. That he lives there. He dwells there. That he is, the word literally means to settle down and feel at home. And that's how God is with his kids He's settled down in your life and he feels at home with you. So dwell, it refers to the permanent as opposed to a temporary type of dwelling. That's how God sees us. The third thing um, that I would say, the third undeniable truth for a child of God is this, that we are rooted and established in love. The word rooted is, is a word derived from the plant world, of course. And that means that the tree gets its roots from deep in the soil in order to provide nourishment and stability. And, and the, the Christian, we have our roots sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into God's love, giving us life, giving us stability, giving us nourishment, giving us what we need. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says this. I love how the psalmist illustrates all of the psalmist. I love how they, they illustrate things. But this, this passage especially has, has stood out to me for years. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Whatever he does prospers. 
There's another passage I'd like to share quickly in Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah is prophesying to the people of Judah, and the people of Judah had in, introduced sin into their life, and Jeremiah was, he was speaking for the people, but yet he was outside the people, as, as all good prophets did. And he was there in a very difficult place because he was literally the voice of God to a people who did not want to hear it. And this is what he said in verse 5 of chapter 17. He says, this is what the Lord says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in the salt land where no one lives. Transition in verse 7 is this. But blessed, it's our word, isn't it? But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a, in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. How might we apply this truth to us today? What God, I believe, is, is He saying to us is, but blessed is the man or woman who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. Verse 8. It does not fear when heat comes, when opposition comes, when people stand against us, when a government uh, makes decisions against our faith and not in alignment with our faith. So even in those moments when our confidence is rooted and established in God's love, it is in those moments where we can stand firm in our faith with, with a level of certainty and hope and peace, knowing that we're loved by God. And then this man, he will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. If it was true then, it's got to be true now that this is available for us who are in Christ. We can still have this kind of life in, in the cultural climate that we live in. But we need to be rooted in the things of God. Then there's the word established, and that's more of an architectural term. And it, it refers to the foundations that we build upon. It refers to the foundations like a, a skyscraper. Notice that the picture is from the ground up. The foundation of these skyscrapers go so much deeper into the ground that we, you don't really see it unless you look at the early development. It's really an interesting thing to see on the internet. It's just see how deep these foundations and what they do to put foundations for structures that are like that and so tall. And it is... These words the Apostle Paul writes and talks about to explain to us and to help us to know that we are rooted and established in God's love. God's love is the foundation by which we do everything. And knowledge is not a substitute for love. Love requires actions. Love is dynamic, not static. Love defines us as people. We are we are to be people of love, just as God is love. 
and that we will actually be known by, the, by His love that shines through us. And also, the fourth undeniable truth for a child of God is we know God by experience. We know God by experience. Verse 18, through the beginning of verse 19, it says that they may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You see, we know God by experience. Not just by somebody else's experience, we know God by experience. And every time that you have an interaction with God's Word is an opportunity to have an experience with the living God. Every time that we come into this space and we we sing songs as prayers and offerings back up to God, there's opportunities to know God more deeply by experience. Every time that you go into your quiet place and you go and you personally just spend some time before God, kneeling, standing, however, just flat on your face, whatever the posture of prayer that you have, every time you do that, you're, you're before the, the throne of God is, and that is an opportunity to know God more deeply by experience. See, the spiritual disciplines are used to tune into and to be empowered by the Spirit. The spiritual disciplines such as prayer, I have a list, a longer list actually, I just gave you some. It's even more beyond Bible reading, attending church and praying. It's Sometimes it's just serving, sometimes it's silence and solitude, just getting away, putting your phone away, bringing your Bible and a journal and just getting away by yourself. Physically removing yourself from distractions. Sometimes the spiritual discipline is actually getting up the courage to share your faith and evangelize friends. Sometimes it's choosing to live a simple life. Choosing to have less things so you can have a deeper walk with God. Or meditating on on the Word. Sometimes it's just being a part of a, of a life group. The discipline is just showing up and committing. Once you join a life group, to be in that life group and to show up week after week after week when that group meets. Sometimes that's the spiritual discipline. But this, too, is a way for us to know God by experience and also develop some, some friends in the process. I love how the, the reference here and just talking about God's love. Verse 18 says that they may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I just jotted these things down. It's wide. It covers the breadth of all mankind. It's long. It covers the length of your life. It's high. It raises to the heights of your greatest experiences and expectations. And it's deep, it plumbs the depths of fear and frustrations and despair and even death. And it's, it's deep enough to bring the worst sinner to the surface of God's grace. Passage of scripture in Romans 8, 37 says this, No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, Paul says, 
For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because we know God by experience. Last of the five undeniable truths about a child of God is this. We're filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. We're filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. This is actually one of the things that Jesus talked about in John 14. When he said this in verse 23, he said, if anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And in Colossians, Paul runs with the same theme. I love how the Bible is consistent. In Colossians 2, 9 and 10, it says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you've been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. So as a child of God, you have the ability to, to not only possess power, but God has bestowed upon you authority. This is what the whole series about kingdom prayers was about, about being kingdom people, digging deeper and deeper and deeper and mining deeper and deeper and deeper, well, well below the surface to know the expanse of the authority that God has given us. To live in Christ's likeness is another way of saying this. I love what Albert Einstein said. He said this about imagination. He, he, he said that imagination was more important than knowledge. He says, I'm enough of, an, of the artist. I'm enough of the artist to draw freely from my imagination. Knowledge is limited. Imagination encircles the world. Author Emily Dickinson said this about imagination. Possibles, slow fuse is lit by the imagination. If we have the fullness of God in us, that means our imaginations need to be fed by the Word of God. We need to read the Scriptures, Old and New Testament. We need to read the, the passages of Scripture of, of Jesus' resurrection and ascension with new awe and wonder. Which means that when we need to go and we need to read about and look deeply within the miracles of Jesus, that every time we do that, we're reminded that, that the fullness of God that brought about Jesus, the power to, to be able to do miracles, is the same source that floods our being. The fullness of God doesn't mean that we're equal to God. That's not what that means. That means that we could have Christ-likeness. That means there's other times we can go into the Bible and we can look at Moses on Mount Sinai and we can look at that with new awe and wonder, lighting up our theological imagination 
to say, if he's the God who did incredible things then, is he still the God who, does, who can do incredible things in my life now? We can look at Elijah being taken up into heaven, fiery chariot, not just as some people or story. Wow, God, wow. We can look at Gabriel meeting with Mary, not just as part of the Christmas narrative or not just as a story that we tell our kids. To say that, wow, an angel interacted with a person. Wow, God. You see, we need to enhance our spiritual imagination. And I think that's one of the reasons why in Ephesians 3, in verse 20, I think that's the reason why the Apostle Paul caps off this prayer. In verse 20 and 21 is because he wants to, he wants to light up our theological imaginations to be reminded that there's, there is a God of awe and wonder who still works today. Would you stand with me as I read this last passage?